You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand on your feet for a moment. Let's. We're going to be in Amos chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, 7 and 8. Amos chapter 3, 7 and 8. Um, Rebecca, she is, as Jeffrey said, just a precious, sweet individual that exemplifies uh, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus. And what a blessing that Lauren and Nancy and, the, and their family have been to us already. And we thank the Lord. Uh, we thank the Lord for her today. Now, let me also say this. Though she's shy and, and uh, very quiet, uh, the sound communication, the praise team, Jeffrey, the worship leader, they just hound her like a bunch of big brothers in there. I mean, they're not settling her nerves. <laughs> they're picking at her, cutting up with her. And it's just really a sweet dynamic and just such a joy. I want to read a passage of Scripture. Uh, I want to um, spend some time talking and using this as a teaching moment, and I'll explain in a minute. But in Amos chapter 3, beginning down there at verse 7, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Let's read that again. Verse 7, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, and who will not fear? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just love you. Lord, we pray now, Lord, I ask you to cleanse me. Lord, let me be a tool, a vessel in your hand. I pray, dear Lord, you forgive me where I fell, you where I let you down. And I pray, dear Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ would cover me today and let me be a messenger that can share a very clear word to this congregation. And Lord, I pray that you receive all the glory and honor and that, Lord, lives are changed. That somebody could be born into the kingdom that one person today might become a Christian giving their life to you. And Lord, we pray that in everything that you receive the glory and honor. And Lord, we ask you all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, sometimes in parenting, uh, and every parent knows this, especially when you're raising children, something will happen, and you'll go, um, you'll you'll kind of set a child down, and you say, "This is a teaching moment," and so you, as a parent, will take that information, whatever it is, and you'll use it as a teaching moment. You're trying to impress into the life of your child something. It may be in the academic or sports or whatever it may be. Uh, Philip, I don't know if you watched the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony last night, but it was unbelievable. Bryce Young, the quarterback for Alabama, he was small. 
he was insignificant. I mean, as far as stature, he was too small to quarterback, too small of frame. There was nothing that would make him a candidate to play college ball, let alone be the Heisman Trophy winner. But his dad, Philip, told him this over and over, and Philip loves sports and his kids are in sports. His dad told him, he said, he made this statement, Bryce Young said, I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first. And he said, secondly, I thank my dad because my dad told me, never allow people to plan your, to tell your story or to plan your story. Never let people dictate into your life a plan other than God's plan for your life. He said, he told me, don't let them write your story. That's what he said. Don't let those critics, don't let those people write your story. And it was a powerful testimony to Jesus Christ. And it was a powerful testimony of a dad influencing his son or daughter, saying, don't let somebody tell you you're too small, you're too insignificant, you're not this, you're not that. And I want to say to young people right now, never allow those critics to plan your agenda. And that was the words of Tom Landry years ago to his team. Last week we had a, we had a situation that, uh, that I could feel taking place. So I want to speak to that. I want to speak to that this morning. If you were here last week, you'll notice that. In fact, let me tell something first and then I'll move into that. When I was walking the 50 capitals in D.C., my GPS and everybody knows that we travel like this all the time, whether we have it in our vehicle. But every capital, every state capital to that capital that I would go to, I would get the address, I would type that in, and my GPS on my phone, and you know now they'll talk to you, but my GPS would lead me to the capital, to the capital building. I would get out with my Bible, I would pray and walk around the capital building seven times. When I got to First Baptist Church, Juneau, Alaska, and walked in Juneau, Alaska, I told you the pastor's wife, he was dying of cancer and since died. His wife looked at me and said, you're the fourth person that God said walked the capitals. And she said, that's strange. Now, in light of where we are as a nation, I understand why. My GPS always worked. Now, I want you to listen closely. Put your spiritual antennas up real high. My GPS always worked except one capital, one place. And it did not work. In fact, it led me to the wrong place. Salt Lake City, Utah. When I got to Salt Lake City, Utah, I was following my GPS. And it led me to the headquarters of the Mormon church right at the moment that the Church of the Latter-day Saints were getting out of their service, families and people. And I looked and I was just shocked. I thought, where's the Capitol? I'm not at the Capitol. And you know, it's such an imposing edifice, the Mormon Church, that for a minute I thought, you know, this is not the Capitol. I mean, you know, I'm walking around. People are beginning to come out. They're just pouring out of this, out of this, uh, out of this church, out of this temple, they call it. And I realized that my GPS had led me to the Mormon church. And I began to pray. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like I was in a spiritual war. So I began to pray and pray, and I walked the streets, and these people are passing me now for all they knew. They thought I was a fellow Mormon just getting out of service along with them. But I was not. 
And I eventually got to the Capitol, walked seven times, sits up on a precipice kind of looking out, and then I left. I thought about that last week. Last Sunday, I was not here. Little did I know that I was getting ready to go through a very, very dark time this past week, and and Ledge was here preaching the gospel. Ledge was here, did a fantastic job. I told him, I said, Ledge, I said, there may have been distractions, but I want you to know something, son, online, looking at it. I said, there was no evidence outside of you casually mentioning it. And I said, it was a tremendous sermon on encouragement. It's tremendous. But oh, my daughter-in-law was fit to be tied. Alicia, his wife. And so I want to take just a moment, and I need you to listen, and I need deacons, I need my deacons to especially listen. I need you to listen. When this happens, and we are living in a day right now and in a nation when the probability of us being interrupted in a service is going to be more common, I also believe that there's a great spiritual war taking place. I learned something from David, my cousin. I can't wait for some of the family to sit down this afternoon and tell them some of the stories. My cousin was with the Secret Service. If you watch the History Channel special, he's a six-foot-five guy sitting next to George W. Bush talking about 9-11. He told me this past week it's the number one show on Apple TV, uh, the whole, this whole episode between him and George W. and 9-11. He told me this, he said, listen, because I was asking about hecklers and people causing problems in an assembly. And he said to us, he said, listen, we cannot protect the president from hecklers, from people that just want to scream obscenities or whatever. He said, it's left to the person who's called the meeting. It is left to the host of the, of the gathering. That person has the right to look to the Secret Service and say to the Secret Service, would you remove this person? And they're gone. So let me, let me take a moment and, and just share maybe a teaching moment. When and if this should ever happen again, in other words, somebody begins to move around in the sanctuary to the degree that they become disruptive, they begin to pull the attention away to the degree that, the, that it is becoming very noticeable. There were dangerous things even where a child was given freedom to do what they want and the parents were just simply allowing it and the parents were uncooperative. I know that our people went privately trying to say, can we help you? Can we help you with the child, child or whatever? But regardless, anytime something like that happens, this is what you are to do as a congregation, deacons especially. You are, first of all, to ask for compliance privately. You would go to this person, whoever may be causing the problem, you may say, listen, I want to ask you just simply, if you would, to, to do this or do that. Give them clear instructions. In this case, it would have been, do you, do you want me to take your child, which some of our people did, and do you, or do you want me to do something here? You ask for compliance, that's number one. Now let me say this, I'm the pastor here, so you may not agree with me, but you have to listen at this point. If they reject that, 
then you are to ask them to leave. In other words, anytime you're in an assembly, if people will not comply and sit down and not longer, no longer be a distraction, if they continue and they won't comply, then you are to simply ask them to leave. I need to ask you to leave the assembly. If the person will not do that, then you go to another family member. In other words, if this were, let's say, let's say a teenager, or let's say this is a wife, then you would go to the husband. One of our deacons would go to the husband and say, Sir, you're either going to have to do this, or you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get this person under control, or you need to, you know, you'll have to leave. If that person will not do that, now I want you to listen closely. At that point, whoever is in the position of authority or leadership, at that point, if the person will not comply, outside of physically removing that person, and they would be removed if they are a threat to the safety of this congregation. If somebody's a threat to the safety of this congregation, I expect the men in this room to take control of that situation. If they are not a threat, and they will not comply or they will not leave, at that point you are to dismiss the service and quietly go out. Does that make sense? Now, let me, let me tell you why. And, 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 and I'm, I want you to listen to me closely. The problem last week in the service was not literally people in parenting or marriage or whatever. I believe it was a spiritual battle. And let me tell you why. Because the people that were in attendance that were moving around are Mormons. They are members of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And so what I need you to do, and I need you to understand that the church down here, I think, uh, well, I know this, this family are members in Clinton, but you may be near, you've seen Church of the Latter-day Saints. That is the Mormon religion. Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney is a Mormon if I remember correctly. And uh, Ledge, if you would tell Reggie Glenn to watch this because I'm getting ready to eat crow, Russell, and apologize. In 2012, when President Obama won his second term in office, I was really upset because he had come out on... Uh, LGBTQ movement, he had come out on redefining marriage, he had come out even stronger on, the, on Roe v. Wade, on abortion rights advocates, he was the only president to speak to Planned Parenthood, sitting president, so I really didn't want him to be reelected. When he was reelected, I was really upset. I came in here and Reggie and I were standing right here, and Reggie knew I was visibly upset, and I said, Reggie, I just knew the African-American would not give this strong a vote affirming President Obama for a second term in light of some of these moral issues. And this is what Reggie said. He turned and looked at me and he said, you didn't expect an African-American to put a Mormon in the presidency, did you? And I said, Mitt Romney was a moral man but Reggie said, but he's still a Mormon. What happened last Sunday? 
You're in a spiritual war. You're, the theme of the sermon was encouragement, so what the enemy did, he sought to discourage. And so you may be saying, well, you know what's wrong with the Mormons? I, I don't see no problem with them. I, let me read to you some of the things that Mormons believe, Latter-day Saint believers. They believe that this church is wrong. They not only believe this church is wrong, they believe that whoever is behind this pulpit is a messenger of Satan. So let me put that into perspective as to what you were witnessing last week. They believe that the church is wrong, that anyone who stands behind this pulpit is a messenger of Satan. They believe that salvation comes only through the Latter-day Saint church. They wear secret undergarments. You may think some of this stuff is silly, but they wear secret undergarments because Joseph Smith told, instructed them to wear certain undergarments to protect them not only from evil spirits, but to protect them from you and I. Some of this may sound so off the wall. There's secret handshakes, secret grips. Many of it comes out of Freemasonry. And it's linked to Freemasonry. Uh, Mormonism, the ceremonies, you can look them up. There's hidden cameras that will give you insight into some of the ceremonies that they carry out. Ladies, a Mormon cannot experience, a Mormon, a woman cannot experience salvation except through being married to her husband. So for a single woman, she better find her a husband because that's the only way she can experience salvation. And ladies, by the way, they believe that a woman will be pregnant throughout eternity, giving birth to spiritual babies. And eventually, the one that she's married to, who will become a god, will be given his own planet, and they will propagate spiritual children. I know. You think I'm crazy. Polygamy is a common practice. The reason being is because it's what they believe that the gods do. The Heavenly Father is once a man who became a God who impregnated Mary, and Jesus is the, is the brother of Lucifer. You need to understand what's going on last Sunday. Heavenly Father, mothers, mothers, it could be multiple conceived spiritual children, and when you come into the world, you were pre-existent as a spirit, and when you came into the world, your mind was clear and erased so that your free will could work and you could make choices. But don't worry, in the Mormon church, if you make the wrong choice, you can be baptized for the dead and thereby swing the vote in their favor and maybe give them salvation. And by the way, this is not the final authority of a Mormon. The final authority of a Mormon is the Book of Mormon. It has no geographical nor archaeological evidence to substantiate it. But anytime the Book of Mormon clashes with this, when the Mormon missionary comes to your home and they tell you they believe your Bible and they believe the same thing you believe, do not believe that and do not entertain that. 
Their final authority is not the Word of God. Their final authority is the Book of Mormon and their doctrines. And if that clashes with this, this is set aside. Jesus had three wives. That's what they believe. He practiced, he was a polygamist. He practiced polygamy. Mary was not a virgin. And as I said before, Jesus was Lucifer's brother and a heavenly council vote swung the vote in his favor and that was the only reason that Jesus was chosen over Lucifer to be the means of salvation. You need to know what was happening last week. And you need to understand this, that Paul said in the last days that men will not endure sound doctrine. They'll heap to themselves itching ears. But you also need to remember that Paul also warned this, that in the end we would have doctrines of demons. And oh, by the way, the upside down star that is on many of the churches of the Mormon church is the emblem of the satanic church as well. It's a star as if it's down like this. And it's a demonic look as if it's a goat-type figure with horns. And some of you may have somebody that's dabbling in that. State of Utah, which is predominantly Mormon, according to one individual that I heard, has the higher-than-average wife-beating child abuse and teen suicide rate. Oh, by the way, they do not believe in the cross. They do not have a cross. They do not wear a cross. There are crosses nowhere around because they believe the cross is a negative thing and that salvation, as they understand it, took place in Gethsemane, not on the cross. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church and the Mormon religion, and you can go back and look up M-O-R-O-N-I, Moroni, the angel, you can begin to look at that, tie that in with uh, Freemasonry, and I'm going to get in trouble here. Because let me tell you, Freemasonry is something that will get my butt in more trouble. I've had unbelievable dealings with Masons through the years. But it is false. It's not of God. And if you're African American, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young believed this. If a white man, which is a superior race to the Mormon, if a white man became involved with a black woman, an African woman of African descent, that man was to be killed, if I remember correctly. His life was to be taken. Oh, by the way, they had some new revelation after Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement took place. They had some new prophecy that came up that stopped all of that. We don't believe that anymore. That's convenient, isn't it? A black man could not hold the priesthood in the Mormon church until after a new revelation prophecy in the 1960s. And it goes on and on. And you may say, Brother Jeff, what are you saying to you and I? I'm simply telling you and I that you and I have to remember something. We are in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual war. Paul said, be sober, be vigilant, be alert, be ready. Your adversary, gee, Peter talked about it. You've got an ad- adversary. You've got an enemy, and that enemy, Paul talked about it in Ephesians. It's interesting that Reggie led us through spiritual armor in, a, in, in that series on Ephesians chapter 6. 
and made that statement. You have to, and I have to understand this, if we are living in the last days, and we could be, the enemy is going to mount an attack like he's never mounted it before. And if this should ever happen again, and I'm not here, first of all, you simply go to the person privately, you ask for compliance. If they do not comply, then you go to other family members of the person. You say, we need you to deal with this. If they do not comply at that point, you ask them to leave. If they refuse to leave, if they are a threat, I expect Russell. um, Derek, would you mind being here every Sunday? We'll make you our bouncer. (laughs) I tease around with Derek and tell him all the time. I said, Derek, listen. If you need me to help you get out to the car, I don't want nobody messing with you. This guy's a mountain of a man. But if they're a threat to this congregation, I expect the men in this congregation to take control of the situation. If, that, if, that, if they're not a threat, but they are disruption, then at that point, you deacons, you would simply gather around here at the front along with the person, whoever it may be, up here, and you may say, I think it's best that we dismiss. And don't worry, we'll let that person either do it online or they'll come back next Sunday and redo the message. Um, let me say this. I, um, I was mad as heaven. You can think about that for a minute. I wasn't a happy camper. I'll be honest with you, I was angry. And I addressed it. I got on the phone, called the individual, the, the man, and I simply said, you had a responsibility and a moral responsibility, regardless of being a Mormon or not. You should have shown respect, and your family should have shown respect to this church and our service, and you did not. At that point, he became defiant. He began to say, listen, my wife wasn't the only one that was allowing that behavior. I was too. And I'm not going to and I'm not going to carry on this conversation. At that point, I said, you're exactly right. I said, you and your family disrespected the service, and you're disrespecting me, and you're right, this conversation is over with. And while they were backtracking, trying to talk, I hung up. Let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes the best thing you can do is close the door or hang up a phone. You don't stay on the line with the devil. And you don't let the devil come in and sit down in your home. And then the text, the long text came back, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and this and that. This is just a matter of church culture. I answered back and said, it has nothing to do with culture, church culture. I said, this has to do with decency and respect to a group of people meeting together, and I would have never behaved this way in a Mormon church. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, you know, uh, you think you're going overboard? Absolutely not. You heard. You heard the blasphemy. You heard the beliefs, core beliefs. You can check them out for yourself. Now, what do you do? Number one, when you go by Church of the Latter-day Saints, you know what you ought to do? You ought to pray up. You ought to pray You ought to pray for the people that are held in bondage to literally a lie. 
that was propagated by a man by the name of Joseph Smith who died with a gun in his hand. He had shot and killed two people and had shot a third person and he died in, a, in an exchange. He was arrested because he was considered to be fraudulent. And Brigham Young came behind Joseph Smith and kept the lie going. And if you don't believe me, you can listen to people that have come out of Mormonism. You can listen to professors. Uh, Lauren, there are professors that came out of Brigham Young that have since denounced Mormon, the Mormon faith. I only say that because he's a professor at college at JSU. But uh, it's not that he's a Mormon. I'm just... <laughs> but these are professors, PhDs, that have come out of Brigham Young University and are now speaking the truth about Mormonism. So when you go by a Mormon church, when you encounter a Mormon, you pray for them. You show them, you demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ as much as you can. You don't sit around, though, and entertain and listen to their doctrine. If you do, it will confuse you because you've got an enemy. And if you're not prayed up and well-versed in the Scripture, they will turn you every which way but loose. But I can tell you this much, they are nothing, 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 nothing like mainline Protestant, Protestant evangelicalism. They are a tool of the enemy. And I pray today that somehow this makes sense. So let me read the passage again and then we're going to close. I'm not going to keep you long today because this has been real heavy. But again, I'm going to go to Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing. Now everybody look this way. Sovereign means God's in control. He's never out of control. You say, well, what about man's free will? He's in control. He, listen, he can control despite man's free will. He's still got a purpose and plan. His plan and purpose will be carried out. That's number one. But watch what Amos says here. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan. In other words, what? listen, God will never take his kids by surprise. He reveals his plan. God knows exactly what he's doing right now in the world. And listen to this. On the day of Pentecost, the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled. And you know what it was? It was that your sons and daughters would prophesy. You, the priesthood of the believer means that you and I, the Old Testament, the prophet had the Holy Spirit. When you repented of your sin and gave your life to Christ, you have God's Holy Spirit living in you. Parent, when that Holy Spirit, when your child's going to spend the night and you don't feel right about it, stop. Don't let them go. If your teenager's getting ready to get in the car and they're going somewhere and all of a sudden something in you, you just feel extremely tense inside, you just simply say, wait a minute, I don't think I can let you go to this. Something, I don't feel right. Something's wrong here. You and I are going to have to realize that if we are living in the last days, and even in these days, we have an enemy and that enemy's mounting an attack against you, your marriage, your children, your family. I'm not embellishing. I'm just telling you what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. And you, you and I need to be prayed up to be ready. Now let me ask you this. Do you know him? 
Do you know for certain that if you died, you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you know that? You say, well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm young. I got, a whole, I, got, I got a lot of life left. Hey, you know what? My niece, number one agent, real estate agent, in an extremely fluent real estate market, Beautiful 16-year-old daughter, probably scholarship, volleyball, all the way through college. My niece got up, called her work at 10 o'clock and said, I'll be there in a few minutes. Got another call at 1029 and at 1030, her husband shot and killed her, as best we know. Two months ago, I was with her. Two months ago, I sat in a little country church with her sister and her little niece and shared with her little niece how to give her life to Jesus Christ. I never knew that my other niece out there was two months, not even that, from going into eternity. You don't know how long you have. Don't wage on the fact that you're going to die at a ripe old age laying on your deathbed and able to receive Christ. Because the Bible said, he that hardens his neck, he stiffens his neck, hardens his heart, he will be suddenly cut off. You're on God's schedule, not yours. Young people, let me tell you, the best thing you can do with your life is give your life to Jesus Christ and from now on live for Him. Let Him find your husband. Let Him find your wife. Let him plan your family. Let him plan your career. Let him pick out where you're going to go to college. Let him make all those decisions for you. And you, I promise you, will have a sovereign God that will always be there. Let God write your story. Don't let all those people telling you all that negative stuff about yourself. You're ugly. You're short. You're small. You're fat. You're too thin. You're too little. You're too that. You don't have the brains. You don't have this. You don't have that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me give your life to Christ let's stand and pray our heavenly father we just come to you and lord we love you and lord we realize that we do battle lord we are in a day when dear lord the world seems to be such a powder keg we're living in a day today when our nation seems to be so divided and polarized and so much civil unrest we Wake up every morning, then, lo and behold, we see the massive loss of life, just and simply tornadoes moving across the heartland. Lord, these are unstable times, and for many of us with pandemics and vaccines and, and masks and all that we're going through in the world in such a state of despair, we can become confused and we can become anxious and we begin to start walking in faith, I mean, start walking in fear rather than faith. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of fear. And for some in this room and some that are listening, they live their life in perpetual fear. They're worried about this, they're worried about that. They basically shut down some men and women that I know are not even getting out of their homes anymore. They live in such fear. And may we understand that God never gives us a spirit of fear. God never tells us to fear the enemy. 
He never tells us to fear nature, the acts of nature. He never tells us to fear a pandemic. He never tells us to fear anything but Him. If we have the fear of God, we don't fear anything else. So I pray today, dear Lord, that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room knows you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray right now that you wrap your arms, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around every person in this room, every person that is listening. And if they do not know you as their Lord and Savior right now, that you begin to tear away at their heart so that they open up that heart and they say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Be the Lord. Be the Savior. And Lord, I pray if there's one person that does that today, that they come and they make it public. That they do last week what, Lord, what uh, sweet Tracy did there with Britain when they not only gave their life to Christ, but then they made it public and were baptized. If there's someone here today that needs to receive you, that nothing will keep them from making it public. And for any decision today, whether it's to come and kneel at this altar as a parent and say, God, keep me keenly aware of the enemy's attack on my family and most of all on my children. Protect them, Lord. And Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment.